someone completely different because of the way that you were trained or you live a certain way you have to be you have to have discipline all these different things and that in, in a, is a good thing and then the people who come out they don't really exactly know how to acclimate because they've lived one way for so very long but then also there are people who have seen such horrible things that you should never ever have to see and they live with that until the day they die so we just want to say thank you and we want to pray for those people if you know anyone who is currently serving or who has served please pray for them because they they need our support they need our prayers to to encourage them uh, so again thank you and happy veterans day to everyone so today we're going to be talking the importance of pouring out of fullness if we do not pour out of fullness we will experience seeking praise and affirmation from outside sources we will experience deep self-doubt and an unwillingness to pour out so uh, i hope that the lord ministered to you in a positive way last week and that he, that he blessed you and that you're feeling very encouraged after that because the lord loves you he does so much so today, we have a story that we've seen before, most likely, probably you've seen. We heard it, we have before us the prophet Elisha. He was the successor of Elijah. He was the one who asked for a double portion. He was, he was called by Elijah. Elijah threw his mantle on him and said, hey man, come with me, you're going to be a prophet. And he said, okay, let me go tell my mom and dad bye, and then I'm going to come and, and follow you. So he did that, and as Elijah was about to go up to heaven, he said, I, I need something from you. I, I need a double portion of your spirit. And Elisha received that double portion from the Lord when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind. Today also there is a story of a widow and her two sons. She had a dire need, and survival was unlikely for her without some quick relief. We're in 2 Kings chapter 4. So, 2 Kings chapter 4, taking a look at verses 1 and 2 to begin. Now, there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take him away, excuse me, and to, to come to take unto him my two sons, the bondmen. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. So this story opens with a scream. This word here, they're cried, literally means a guttural scream. So we see this woman who is screaming out to Elisha. She is the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. Now, this particular phrase is used 11 times in the Old Testament. Little is known or said. 
book of 2 Kings would have known the refuge to the sons of the prophet. It is believed that the sons of the prophet was like a seminary, like a, a guild of prophet or like a training center for those who were called to be prophets. Now, understand that the prophetic office has two parts. They are foretellers, which means that God speaks to them and they see the future and they prophesy about what will happen in the future. But also, the prophetic office is about foretelling, and that is preaching. So, some have suggested that this this guild of the sons of the prophets was a training center for those who were called to preach or called to tell forth what God was speaking to his people. Some scholars believe that Samuel and Elijah and then later Elisha were each leaders of this particular school. So they were kind of the dean of the school if, if you believe some of the scholars. If this is true, then that could explain Elisha's request. Remember, he asked for a double portion. Well, a double portion, according to God's word, is an oldest son's portion. The oldest son always got twice as much. And if Elisha was one of the sons of the prophet, and Elijah was the dean of the school, he said, I act like I'm your oldest son and give me a double portion of the blessing that you have. So that would make sense. So this is also possibly the reason if Elisha took over as the dean of the school. This is why the widow came to Elisha for help. My husband was one of the scholars in your school. And now he's and my sons are about to be taken. Notice what she says. Your servant is dead. This word is bondman. Says this to Elisha. Your servant is dead. And you know that your servant feared Yahweh. Again, she uses this word bondman. And now the lender has come to take away my two sons as bondmen. Notice her play on words. Twice she calls her husband a bondman to the prophet, but now her sons will be the bondmen of the creditor. But it's interesting because she uses two different words for sons. When she says sons of the prophet, this is the word ben, which is son in its widest sense. So the, the son of a family, it could be any age at all. You could be 100 years old and be a ben, a son of the family. But the word she uses to refer to her two sons is Yaled, Y-E-L-E-D, if you're taking notes about it. Almost always this word implies children. It could refer to teenagers. In some cases it refers to children as young as two years old. So what we see here is not just a couple of 25-year-olds about to be taken as slaves to pay for their father's debt, it is possible that these children are very young children, teenagers or younger, and they're about to be taken away in order to serve 
on behalf of their father's dead. So Elisha responds to her with questions. What would you like me to do? What can I do for you? And then he says, what do you have in the house? Now, it's interesting because in the Hebrew, this word house can also mean inside. So he says to her, what do you have on the inside? She says, I'm struggling. My sons are going to be sold. They're going to be taken away from me. I don't have any way to live. And he says, well, what would you like me to do? What do you have on the inside? And she says to him, your handmaid, and again, she's using this slave language, your bondwoman, your slave girl, I have nothing on the inside. She responds in the same way. What do you have, using the same exact words, what do you have on the inside? She says, save a pot of oil. Now, this is really interesting. We understand, and as we're reading, it's like, oh, I don't have anything. It's, it's almost as like she's saying, oh, I don't have anything in here except for a cruise of oil. I don't have anything in here except for a little pot of oil. But if you read it in the Hebrew, this particular word is a demonstrative word meaning low or old that. Like it's just coming back to her mind. It can imply a question, the question whether. I wonder whether or not this will work. This word also implies not, as if she's doubting. I don't have anything inside I mean, I don't know whether or not this will help, or I don't have anything inside. I don't think you'd even want the small little thing that I have. Or I don't have anything inside. Oh, wait. I do have. So it's coming to her mind as she is thinking about what she could have inside, what, what Elisha is asking from her. And she says, oh, wait. I do have one thing. She only has a pot of oil. Now, this word, pot, is only used one time, and it is a flask for anointing. So basically, what she's saying is, this is all I have inside. What do you have inside? This is all. It's, it's not a huge vat of oil that she's pouring from, it is something very small. I don't have anything except this. So this story is very reminiscent of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. In both cases, the amount of oil was minimal. You know, Elijah came to her and he said, what do you have? And she said, well, I only have a, little, a handful of meal and a cruise of oil. I'm going to make a cake, and then me and my, my son are going to die. He said, well, make a cake for me first. That's a whole other thing. So in both cases, the oil was very minimal. But their actions required in verses 
3 through 7, it says, Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all these vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil saved. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children off the rest. So when she realizes, she says, This is what I have. He says, Go. He looks at this, (laughs) and with prophetic eyes, and with trust and faith, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. He said, okay, good, go. (laughs) This is all I have. Okay, go get some vessels. (laughs) He said, go, in this case, walk, exercise yourself, borrow, means inquire or beg. Go get vessels outside. He says, go borrow abroad of all thy neighbors. Now, consider this for a second. He didn't ask her, do you have anything in here that will hold oil? Because if all she had was this tiny cruise of oil, that meant that everything else she had was empty. Every other container in her home was empty. If this is all she had. So he said, instead of saying, all right, go to your cupboards and get out your Tupperware and go into, some of y'all, <laughs> some of y'all may be bougie, but go in and get your, um, get your Cool Whip containers. Y'all know. <laughs> go in and, and get all your containers and just line them up and, and begin to pour. That's not what he said to her. He said, go, leave the house, and beg from your neighbors. She was to go from house to house begging for empty vessels. So she's knocking on doors. Her sons are knocking on doors and saying, give me vessels. Please, I beg of you, give me vessels. And they may not have known what was going on. Certainly they knew that her husband had died, but they may not have even known that she was in need. And here she is having to stand at doors and knock and say, I have a need. I have things that are going on in my life, and, and I need you to give me some vessels. And I'm sure that some of why do you need why? Why do you need these vessels? And maybe she had to stand and explain it to him. I don't know. But she's told, go house to house, go to all your neighbors and get vessels. There are a couple of biblical Hebrew words for empty. It says that she is to get empty vessels. And we understand 
vessels are empty. They don't have anything in them. But in this case, the word that is used means vain or worthless. So she go, she is instructed by the man of God to knock on people's doors and beg for their useless vessels. Can you give me whatever's left? Can you give me whatever you don't need or don't want? Give me whatever is useless to you. That's what I want from you. I'm not asking for your best china. I'm not asking for your most beautiful vases. I'm just asking for what's worthless. And then she is told, a second set of directions, come back, shut the door behind you, and pour into the vessels. And then set aside that which is so this was not a miracle for the neighbor. She was to borrow from them, but she was not to show off this miracle in front of them. She's told, come inside, shut the door. Let it just be you and your sons. Even the man of God was outside. He wasn't inside with them. Because this wasn't a miracle that Elisha was going to do. This was a miracle that God was going to do using her obedience, using the little that she thought she had. It had nothing to do with Elisha. She was just being obedient to what the man of God had said. But she comes in with her sons, and they have all these useless vessels just laid in mama, just laid out all over the place. It's just a hodgepodge of different things. Now, the work, I don't know about y'all. Whenever I have heard this story, I've always thought they were going and getting these huge clay jars or these big stone jars and, you know, just moving them, maneuvering them into the house. That's not necessarily the implication here. The implication is, again, like smaller Tupperware containers, smaller containers of just all these random kinds of vessels. So it didn't have to be anything big and huge, nothing that was stone, that was beautiful, that was strong. It just had to be something that was empty and available. It, it could be a hodgepodge. It could be the least of these. It could be something that the world wouldn't really, I don't really. I don't even need this anymore. Here, just take this. As long as it was empty and available. So he's telling her to go in and shut the door. Here, this phrase, shut the door, can also mean surrender. So he's telling her to go inside, take all that you have left, and surrender. And then an amazing thing happens. This small anointing that she almost forgot about, that she overlooked and didn't really see as valuable, began to flow as though it were bottomless. It began to flow into each of the containers. And she would pour and pour and pour. And then, bring me more vessels. Okay, and pour and pour. Lay these aside. Make room for the others. 
this one's full it's useful now it has a purpose move it aside make room for the others bring the others the empty ones bring them to the front let's let's pour into them move aside those that are already full those who don't who, who can't contain one more bit move those aside and, and bring the other ones forward flowed so much that these worthless things had purpose again. And then when there were no more vessels, she asked her son, bring me, the oil is still pouring. Please, bring me more vessels. And the son said, we we don't have any more. There are no more vessels. Everything that we've borrowed from everyone is And it says that the oil stayed. Now, we have heard, I have heard, almost every time that I preach this message, it's been about the oil stopped, okay? And this, the oil stopped, and there's a lack of vessels means a lack of anointing. You know, the, the lack of vessels stops the anointing from flowing and all this stuff, okay? If you've heard that, okay. <laughs> if that's the way you've heard it, okay that's the way I've always heard it. And, and you get all fired up. I mean, that'll preach good because you want to get people excited and, and on fire and emptying of all the junk and allowing the Holy Spirit to pour in. You know, you want that. That's what we do. We, we work at an angle like, oh, that's, that's good. That's going to preach good. And you harp on that. Now, there are many Hebrew words that mean stop. This is not one of them. So the writer of Kings did not say that once that last one was full, the oil stopped. He said the oil stayed. There's a difference between stopping and staying. The word here means to stand to remain or to endure. See, again, we we get excited, we get pumped up when the oil is flowing, but we must learn the value of living with endurance. Because some people, yeah, they're on fire and they're excited for the Lord when everything is, when, when we're raising our hands and when we're shouting and when we're running around and when we're on the mountain and everything is victorious and, oh, this is great because I can feel the anointing flowing. But sometimes the anointing endures. Sometimes it just stays. And when we're in the valley, the anointing needs to stay. When we are having the worst time in our lives, the anointing needs to stay. And when we are walking through a horrible time in our lives, and we feel attacked, and we feel discouraged, and we feel like, I don't know how I'm ever going to make it past this, That may not be the time that we're shouting under the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That is the time that the anointing stays. That's the time that the oil endures for us. And we say, Lord, I I need you to walk with me. I need you to stay beside me. So here it is that after her husband has died and after she has gone through this fear of losing her children and after
after she is at the end of her rope, not knowing what to do. It is the worst, most awful time in her life. And then the anointing is poured out in such a powerful way. She's seeing fullness and fullness and fullness, more and beyond than she understood. And now it is time for her to live the anointing. third thing that he instructs her to do is go and sell, pay easily. Once again, she is active in this process. The oil that God had miraculously provided would bring enough money, enough profit to pay all the debts, whatever they may have been, and then provide a living for her and her two young sons. But when you have nothing left, have you ever been there? Ever felt that way? You have nothing left. <laughs> You're desperate and hopeless and crying out to God. You are not alone. These stories are here for us to give us encouragement that we're not alone. You're not the only one who's felt that way, who has felt desperate and at the end of their rope, not knowing what to do. So what lessons can be gathered from this familiar story? Number one. I have nothing inside except. This woman was in a desperate situation. Think about that. In this time in history, women were not working outside the home. So women had to rely on their husbands or their fathers their older brothers, or their sons. They had to rely on the men in their lives to look after them. So at this point, this woman had no other recourse. She didn't know what she was going to do. She was in a desperate place. She had this husband who was a Y'all who know what it's like to be married to preachers, this is a preacher. <laughs> but she had this husband who was a preacher, a man of God, someone who served God and was a servant to Elisha. And yet he had left her with a massive amount of debt. Maybe he didn't realize that he was sick and he was going to pass. He thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I'll be fine. i got plenty of time to pay this off. And I say a massive amount of debt. It may have been a small amount of debt, but she couldn't pay it. And when you're at the, when you're at the end of all your resources, any amount seems huge. When it means the, the difference between being able to look after your family and your sons being taken as slaves, it makes a huge difference. So this person, that she was under his protection. And that had been disappointing. Because he had left her in debt. This person who had promised to love and protect her forever had died. Leaving her in a, an awful situation. All she had left, two young sons were on the verge of being taken from her. And then what? 
the future with no husband and no children, just her. And I don't know if she was continuing on in her mind about the future, but thinking, what am I going to do with myself? Who's going to look after me? Who's going to support me? What can I do? It's no wonder that she screamed. The man who represented God to her was her last hope. Quick side note, sometimes sometimes you just got to get in your car, just drive somewhere, and just yell a whole bunch. Hey, if you if you ever have that moment, if you ever need to do that, that's okay. All right, because this woman screamed, so it's biblical. So, you know, go out, have you a good yell. It'll make you feel better. If you need to come here sometime, it's you know, we'll unlock the church for you. Come in and scream. So, when she comes to him and says. I'm desperate. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. He says, well, what do you have inside? The audacity. The audacity of the man. I came to you. If I knew what I had, I wouldn't have needed to come to you. (laughs) Sir, you're the last man in my life who can look after me. That's why she came to him. What do you have that can solve the problem? I don't know, Elisha. What do you have that can solve the problem? Oh, nothing? Okay, well, thank you. And so, oh, maybe she wasn't like that. She was very, she seems very humble. You know, your your servant, your bondswoman has nothing. She thinks she has nothing. She felt empty. If anyone, even the Lord, asks you at certain times in your life, what do you have inside? What could you say? We have likely all been to the point of being drained or thinking we had no value add. What do you have inside? I have nothing to give. I have absolutely nothing that's going to be of any use and any value to anyone nothing but there is something in here there is something on the inside and it is great there's an anointing that maybe you forgot about or maybe you don't recognize but God has placed something on the inside of each of us that is valuable and that can be poured out to the benefit of not only us but to all those around us the second thing that we learned here is that God will do the impossible, but he will not do the rest. See, she received instructions from the man of God three times. First, she was told to go beg for vessels. Could God have used her empty vessels that were in the house? For sure. He could have told Elisha, tell her to just go into the pantry and get out all her old vessels. Tell her to to take out everything that she has that could hold oil. Tell her to lay that out on the table and just start pouring. God could have told her that. Or he could have moved on the heart of all those neighbors who certainly would have known that her husband had died, so maybe they come over with some 
some vessels for her. Here you go. I don't know why I'm bringing this to you. I just felt the unction of the Holy Spirit to bring you these vessels. God could have certainly done that and had her just sit in her house and receive. Absolutely. Then she was told, after begging for these vessels, to return home and surrender and pour. Could God have done this miracle for all the neighbors to witness? So the Lord could have seen what God was doing through this woman. Absolutely. He could have told her, leave the doors and the windows wide open. Let everyone who passes see that this miracle has been done. Oh, how amazing. Thank you, Lord. Could he have called the empty vessels to just fill up with oil? Sure. Absolutely. She, he could have said, okay, take out the vessels that you have, lay them out on the table, and watch what God will do. And then, all of a sudden, vessels full. How amazing. And she wouldn't have had to do a thing, just stand there and watch the salvation of the Lord. But she was told, there are some things that you need to do to accommodate this miracle. The last thing she was told to go and sell the oil and pay off the debt. Now, could God have sent some people to her home who needed oil? Absolutely. She could have put a sign out on her door, oil for sale. And people could have come by and just walked right into her house. Hey, you have oil. That's exactly the amount of oil I need right there. Let's buy this. Yes. She wouldn't have had to go out and peddle the oil. Or could God have softened the heart of the of the person to whom she was in debt and made him feel sorry for her and say, well, I'm, I know you're in a hard spot and I'm not going to take your sons away. Absolutely, God could have done that. And all those different things would have been miracles. But faith without works is dead. And yes, Lord, I trust you. And yes, I know you're going to do great things for me. So I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to do it. God, I know that you have a great plan and a purpose for my life, so I'm just going to wait around until you accomplish. It's important to trust God for the impossible because he does miracles that we have no right to take into our hands. I can't make it happen. There is no way. There's no way that I could just pour out, and there's no way, that I could just pour out and oil just flows, just keeps on flowing, doesn't stop. There's no way that I can do that, okay? I have no power in and of myself for that to be the case, for, for this miracle to happen. But trusting God for miracles does mean surrendering to his command. Even those things that sound crazy. God, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> oftentimes he, he'll tell us to do something, and, and he's specific in that, but, but he won't really tell us why. See, I really like to know why. That's just, um, that's just part of my personality. <laughs> like, okay, God, why would you like me to do this? Like he said to Abraham, take, all your, take everything you have and just start walking. Okay, Lord, where are we going? I'll tell you later. No, thank you. God is 
obligated to bring a miracle to your door. He works in ways that we can't see to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. The power that works in us. So the power has to be working in us in order for these exceedingly abundantly above kinds of things to happen. Again, it is it is not a a sit-and-watch type of miracle. It is a participation miracle. The third thing that we see is what you have to give is bigger than you. She had to borrow vessels. She was told to borrow them empty and get a lot of them. He says, borrow not a few. Don't just go and get one from each house. Get a bunch. Make sure they're empty. Get the useless ones. That's fine. Get a bunch of them. Get them so that you can fill your house with them. See, what others see is worthless or useless. When it is surrendered to God, it becomes pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Not only was she blessed, her sons were saved. Not only did she have enough, but others were able to benefit from the oil of the anointing. It was not just a miracle for her benefit. It blessed everyone. So God has gifted each of us with something that is above and beyond what you can imagine. All she asked for was payment for debt so that her sons wouldn't be taken. But... For her obedience, she received enough to pay the entire debt and then enough to live on. We don't know how old her sons were. One can assume, just based on the the times, that once they got old enough that they would go out and get jobs and perhaps support their mother. But they had enough, based on this miracle, they had enough to live on until that happened. So that would have been years. So just imagine this being enough to satisfy you for years so that you don't have to worry and you don't have to beg God for more. But what you had in this, the thing that you almost forgot, was enough to satisfy you for years. You may not know how you're going to make it, but God has something on the inside of you that will be poured out if you surrender. And then it'll stay. It doesn't stop. The anointing doesn't stop. If there were more vessels, it would have continued. It was not that the oil was cut off. It's not that the anointing left her. It was still right here. If she had had more vessels, yeah, he would have filled that up. But he gave her enough. And so when we go through it, when we go through the issues and the bad times and the difficulty, the anointing stays with us. To keep us through those times, to 
to guide us, to wrap his arms around us and give us comfort that it's, he's here, he's with you. He doesn't run out. So what can God do in the world this morning? Well, he is more than able. He is more than able to help and to provide. So when you have nothing on the inside, remember that. I have nothing Remember that God will do the impossible, but He will not do the work. You've got to, you've got to put legs on your prayers. You've got to put work in your faith, and that what you have to give is bigger than you. Because you're going to be a blessing. What you're going through right now, that's going to be a blessing. That's going to be a help. That's going to be help to you. You're going to look back and you're going to say, "Remember when God showed up." I remember when I surrendered to him and he showed up. I remember that the oil came and it flowed, but also it stayed. As the music plays and we go to the Lord in prayer, be encouraged today. Sometimes we, we do pour out of him. Sometimes we don't think we have anything to offer, but, but when we surrender to God, he takes what little we have and makes Heavenly Father, I thank you. I give you praise for all that you would do in and through me and on my behalf. God, you are more than able. <laughs> you are more than able to fill up. When we're, when we're in the middle of it, we don't feel like we have, but you're more than Father, I pray that you would bring to mind each person who's here and each person who's watching. I pray that you would bring to mind what they have on the inside. That spark that you've placed in them. Talent, the ability, the anointing. The way that you've chosen them. The good that you've placed inside of them. God, I pray that you would bring that back to their remembrance. When they're the end of their rope, God. You say, what's on the inside of you? I don't know. There's nothing on the inside of me. God, remind them. Yes, there is. God, speak to their hearts right now. Father, I pray that you would encourage us to place legs on our faith. Lord, that we would walk in faith. Father, that we would believe in you, that we would trust in you, but also that we would obey you. Because we know that you are able to do anything that we ask, and more than we can ask, but God, we also understand that it's power that works. That we have to walk in our faith. That we have to listen to your voice and obey what you say to us. God, I pray that if anyone is just sitting around waiting for a miracle, that you would begin to speak to their heart ways that they can be obedient, to be receptive to your miraculous power. God, ways that they can, even if they have to go door to door, even if they have to share what's going on with them, God, if that's more people praying for them, God, if that's what they need, I pray that you would begin to help them to 
greater than we can imagine it to be. Father, because you, you can use what's in us to bless so many people. For people to hear our testimony, God, for people to be able to recognize the great things that you've done in our lives. Pray that would happen. Just ask you right now that you would touch each and every heart, each person that's in the room, each person that's watching, God, that they would feel your presence and your power, that they would feel your anointing and your touch, God, that they would receive from you.